Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Kuttner, and I'm so glad you're here. This podcast will help you find ways to live a more authentic life. Every week, I have guests on the show from yoga teachers to meditation instructors, everyone to help you feel like the best you. I'm so glad you're here, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Today on the podcast, I have Candice Covelli. She is a licensed clinical social worker and a licensed drug and alcohol counselor. I'm so happy that she decided to come on the podcast today. So thanks for being on, Candice. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so honored. Yeah, I'm honored to have you. I know that we've had some conversations about codependency and relationships and attachment. So I'm really excited to get into all of that good stuff with you. Yeah, so am I. I think it's a a very loaded topic and really timely in relation to like the beginning of a new year and quarantine fatigue and just that like exhaustion. So I think it's a good topic to start with. Same. All right. So I want to start by you sharing a little bit about why you got into the work you do. I think it's really impactful, like we said, when you have some experience and and you can help your clients out because you kind of have some passion behind the work you do. To kind of go through where I came from and how I got into the work, um, I am the oldest kid um, of three children. My mom is an active alcoholic. I uh, I started doing this work really on my own in therapy. I found a therapist and I, and I had to like therapy shop for a little bit. I had to find someone that fit with me. Um, and that really, I felt like saw me. I was in school, uh, my master's in social work at Monmouth university. Um, I graduated from there and started a job actually at a County jail in Hudson County. Uh, so it's like right near Jersey city. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a substance abuse program, so I worked with women and men both. Um, but when I I predominantly worked with the women population in there, um, and that's really where I saw the power of women sharing their stories and their pain together, and how much of a, of a force that can be, um, and like really just the healing power of that. It was so important to me. And I really like identified with that female spirit, which is kind of how I've cultivated my practice. Now I work with predominantly just women. So I did a lot of work there and that's really where I started putting the idea of codependency as a priority in my life. Um, I was, you know, in the house with an active alcoholic and it was really kind of leaking out into every place of my life. And I felt like if I didn't get a handle on my behaviors, my thoughts, my feelings, the pain of that, that I was never going to be able to be um, a mom in the healthy way that I wanted to be. So I started digging deep, found a therapist, and and that's just kind of where the journey took off for me. I, I did a lot of work um, with her, and I still do. So I just feel like therapy for me was just kind of learning it from the inside out. I needed to learn a lot about myself on the couch with her 
and really getting to know myself. And then I could kind of translate that into a private practice. So now I work uh, full time for a university in New Jersey. And then I have a private practice that I see women ranging from all ages um, and just work on a lot of like women's issues, relationships, family dynamics, um, like emotional regulation, all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of what's brought me here Mm -hmm. and taken me um, to where I am. And it's all really, really important to me. I, I so much identify with the female spirit and it's just such an important thing to me. I, I think we are so powerful in our, in our own healing. So, so yeah, so that's kind of where I, where I started and where I'm at now. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I really felt that too. I, I love when, you know, you have passion behind the work you do and it makes it so much more important that you want to help guide your clients because you've experienced the healing yourself so you understand the impact that therapy makes you understand like how changing your thought patterns and creating healthy boundaries and creating positive communication skills like all of these resources that are you know work through in therapy can help people so much so that that hits me on a deep level too I I can really resonate with that Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like I've never, I've always felt like, how could I say to somebody, you should write a letter to your daughter or your brother or whoever, right? You don't have to send it, but you could write it and you could just keep it in your house. How could I direct someone to do these things if I was not willing to take those emotional risks myself? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Right. Like, how could I... I don't know. I just, I feel like I could never with a good conscience say, well, you need to take better care of yourself when I wasn't taking care of myself. And and just, it feels, I think you said earlier, like not authentic. It feels disingenuous. So, so I feel like it's just an important thing to do as a therapist and as a sister and a friend and a family member. And it's just important. Yeah. I feel like it helps keep you on your game too, because you can't be sharing wisdom and knowledge with people and helping them on their journey and then not doing any of it. So it's like that continuous reminder to up level and also just knowing we're all human. We all mess up, like things happen, whatever, you know, you can't be perfect all the time, but the fact that like you are doing the work on your own is important. Absolutely. I see it. Like I do a lot of comparisons to I have a lot of yoga teacher friends. I'm very, very lucky uh, for them. I get, sometimes I get free tips and I'm really lucky, but I always compare it to doing work on and off the mat there. Like I don't, I want my yoga teachers to know what grounding means, what mindfulness means, what it means to live on and off the mat. Like if they don't know that and they're not doing that, it, I feel like I'm missing something and they're missing something and we're all kind of missing a piece. So that's kind of where I see that, at least in relation to the pro- the therapy process. So, yeah, I love that you said that. I want to actually jump on that for a little bit because I feel like when it comes to things like taking good care of ourselves and honoring ourselves in our relationship and with others, everybody is so different. But there's a lot of like general rules of thumb that we can attach to that make a lot of sense. So, when it comes to things like having healthy relationships and creating boundaries. What do you see as like some of the most effective tips for that? And I know, like you said, everybody's healing is so different. 
-hmm. and our relationships can be strained by different things. But what is the basis for healthy relationships? That's a loaded question. Um, (laughs) That's so big. Um, So big. I think... Okay, so the first three things that come to mind when you said that was, to me, the concept of so much of this stems from the concept of worthiness, right? Like, mm-hmm. like being worthy just by being born and having that base and knowledge, which is for some people, and, and, and it's so funny, like I work with certain people and um, they're like, well, I don't feel like I, I don't feel unworthy, but your actions are not in alignment with someone who would be. Mm. feeling that way, right? Like you say one thing and act another way. So there's something much deeper in that and having the insight to look towards that. Um, so I think the concept of worthiness individually. And then the, the second thing I would say about that is um, I think we also live in a time where so much of of the messages that we get are you need to do, you need to love yourself first before you can love anyone else, which I completely agree with. And we are not meant to be isolated. We do better when we're in healthy, appropriate relationships. Yeah. Whether it's romantic friendship, family, coworker, whatever, um, when we feel supported and seen. So I think it's a twofold answer. I think really having that, like I said, that idea of being worthy, having some self-worth, having that insight and that knowledge to look inward, and then surrounding yourself with people who have good sight, who are supportive, who you feel safe around, and not feeling guilty for quote unquote being dependent. There was, um, oh God, uh, Mary Ainsworth, I think. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's a psychologist. who did a study about, um, I think it's called like the secure base. I could be butchering that, but I think it's called the secure base. And what they did is they had a parent come in with their child and the parent would leave. And there was like a playroom and that the kid oh, has yeah. never been, the child has never been in before, right? Yeah, and then the re- yeah, you've heard of it. Yeah, the researcher comes in and the kid's like, I don't know you, I want my mom. The mom comes back in and the child gets hugged by the mom, gets the reassurance, feels safe, and then goes over the play area. So it's like you feel more comfortable when you're being supported. And I think it really translates into our adult lives as well. And I think, so I, I, so that was a little bit of a tangent, but I think really what I'm trying to say in, in answering that is that we often hear the word dependency and we are, we're like, well, I need to really look inward and love myself. I'm like, yeah. And you can also love yourself through action in the right decision-making in relationships. Oh yeah, definitely. I love that you said that. I, I do agree that it's a twofold answer and I do agree that it's both aspects of, you know, creating your own sense of self-worth and self-value so that you don't put yourself into shitty situations where you're not honored and you're not respected. And then it's also cultivating these relationships that are really beneficial and complementary opposed to, I mean, we all need love. It it makes us feel so good. Like being loved by somebody else is such a great feeling and it's part of our true nature. And we need these safe relationships where we can have fulfilling lives. But at the same time, I think it's what you said. It's, It's both pieces. So it's honoring and loving yourself and then cultivating healthy friendships and relationships from that place. 
because we do, we can't just love ourselves and be completely by ourselves all the time. We're not meant to be isolated. I think that's how we go crazy, to be honest. Absolutely. And I think right now we're in a time where we're isolated. If you're living alone, even if you're living with other people, like it's easy to feel isolated. It's easy to feel alone and lonely. So it's really important to just like somehow feel connected with people that you feel safe with. And I feel like that's how you relearn stuff. Mm. If you have like a heart wound from like childhood that is kind of seeping through your relationships, right? That's not been healed or been unpacked. Having a healthy, secure relationship with anybody, I mean, even a pet is somehow going to translate over. Like it's, it's going to heal some of those, those old stuff. So yeah, no, it's super important, but yeah, I think, and and honestly, I think that question is even more than, I'm sure there's so many other branches to answer it, you know, Um, it's such a deep question. Yeah, it's definitely loaded, but I like the way that you answered it. And I do want to touch on attachment for a second. And I want to touch on things that are kind of universal lessons. In my opinion, I see lessons come up for all of us at certain points. So there's this whole growth process of learning the lesson, right? Taking in the lesson, making sure you get it. And then you get like a test from the universe and you're like, did you really get it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, if you're doing this work and you're like, yes, I love myself. I'm respecting myself. I'm cultivating healthy relationships and friendships. But then here's a trigger. So go deal with that. What's your advice to the people who are maybe learning that lesson of self-respect and healthy boundaries, but then they get thrown a trigger and they're kind of like, okay, what now? Sure. I think, I think that because we've all kind of been there, right? Like I'm even thinking about times that I've been there, like this person comes back when I had already told them, please, like, right? I'm here, right? And then they keep resurfacing. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, um, but I think so much of our lives are not linear and that lesson of, um, um, what's the word? Like a, like a non-negotiable, like, mm. or, um, a deal breaker, right? Like I'm trying to think of the opposite, um, yeah, you know, like if somebody keeps coming forward and they've presented those deal breakers or those red flags or, or things that you just we're not comfortable with, we can't control other people. We can only control ourselves and really our lives aren't linear and there are, people are going to come in and out. So, um, I feel like it's really a multifaceted answer again, right? Like where you have to keep in mind your self-worth, your values, and also acknowledging that you could feel tired. You know, I've had moments in my life. I'm like, I'm so tired of this lesson. Can my guides and can like the universe, can we just bring something new? Like, I feel like I've learned this a thousand times. Are we done? You know, it's just having compassion for yourself and speaking to yourself with a different perspective and a much warmer voice instead of like, again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really kind of the base of it. Yeah. I think it's, it's so brave to do this work because like you said, our our relationships that are like our first relationships are so impactful because that's where we're really learning how things work. And I think that's important to just know, like these are literally imprints in, and they stay with you. So to erase these imprints, it's not so easy. It takes a lot of work and a lot of unlearning. So if you have like parents that are very volatile and shit's like hitting the fan every day, 
-hmm. it's going to be very hard for you to create and cultivate healthy, safe relationships where you don't let your fears control you. But through this process and through doing the work, you can eventually get there. And of course, like we slip up sometimes, but it's it's possible. Absolutely. And I think this stuff is really not for, I say this to a lot of the clients that I work with, and I've said it to clients that I've worked with in the past, because it's really hard to do this work. Mm-hmm. There are some people who would much rather go on with blinders and, and not, and, and that's okay. That's just kind of where their journey is. And eventually they'll get there and they'll make small people learn by doing that is just so much my yeah. philosophy. People learn, you know, they touch a hot fire and then you're like, you probably shouldn't touch that. And then they'll do it again because they're, they're, they're learning. It's their own process. Yeah. Um, just the matter of if, if they've grown into other perspectives, other thought processes, like other creative ways to solve their own problems. Yeah. You know, and I feel like as a therapist, really all I'm facilitating is some growth. Yes. If, and, and the other part of it is um, you were talking about like, like attachment and, and our caregivers, right? Like one of my mentors uh, says this a lot. It's really one of my favorite things and something I think about a lot. And what I try to do with my clients as well is when you're younger, sometimes you grow up looking at like a funhouse mirror, like, um, you know, a kid falls down and, and the parents and they, they cry and the parents like, no, 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 you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. And the kid gets confused. Like, am I fine? Like, you know, that's just an example. And I feel like, yeah. And, and I feel like, cause, cause really what you're saying is like, you're fine. There's blood, but you're fine. And the kid might not feel fine. Um, obviously there's a boundary to that, but you know, and I think something that's been really important to me, at least in my own personal journey and and what I try to do with clients is be an appropriate mirror. Like if something hurts, it hurts, Yeah, you know? And and I think, yeah. And I think that's, um, I think that's something that we can kind of do on our own as well is like, am I appropriately seeing this right? Am I, you know, call, you know, even the way we speak to ourselves, like I'm being a baby, I'm being a wimp. I'm, I'm, I'm not over this yet. I'm not this, I'm not that. And, uh, I think it's just an interesting point to make. Yeah. I think about that all the time. I always think about, you know, best practices for raising kids, because I feel like that's a thing that comes up a lot. And I don't know that it's the best practice of just telling kids like, Oh, brush it off. You're okay. Like, no, let if they're upset, like honor that, you know, let them feel their feelings. Let's not teach people to dishonor their feelings because then it's just going to come up someplace later down the road. And you're going to be like, Oh, well, why, why am I ignoring how I feel? Why am I trying to numb out my experiences? Well, what happened to you as a child? And so I think that's just a great segue to talk about inner child work and a lot of patterns that come up if you're doing inner child work. Because I know that's one of the things that we chatted about. So what are your thoughts on inner child wounds that you've seen continuously come up for people? I know everybody's so different, so. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting because when you bring this up to certain people, especially, um, people who are more anxious because anxiety really squashes a lot of creativity. People who have a hard time being creative are usually really anxious. So inner child work requires, it really requires openness. It just requires that. 
requires openness. It really requires a sense of imagination, um, which is hard for some people to, to kind of open back up to, you know, as we're adults, you know, things like that are silly or woo woo or whatever. So I think, I think that's a piece of it is that if, if, if you don't have a sense of openness within that, it might not hit home. But again, like I said earlier, I think people just grow into stuff. And I think at some point somebody will get there. I think that's like probably the first big piece that I have for inner child work is really just having that sense of openness to it. Because it can feel, it almost can feel silly. You know, if you have a picture of yourself when you're like four and you're looking at it and you're like, that doesn't even feel like me. Like, I don't even know if I feel connected to that. And that's really, uh, that's very telling. Yeah. At least to me, you know. I like what you said about openness and awareness. I really think that's a big piece in healing work in general. You need to be able to look at your stuff and be like, okay, I understand why I'm like this. And I'm going to work to dissolve these patterns or restructure my beliefs so that I don't continue to live this pattern over and over again. Like you talked about the lessons from the universe. I mean, they are dependent on the work we do. So be open to your wounds, notice them, see them. Mm-hmm. hear them feel them and then work through them and I think like they do dissolve on some level after like the work that you do but it's important to don't wear blinders like please be open to the fact that maybe something really bothered you as a kid and you're still carrying that into your adulthood mm-hmm. and until you're ready to look at it like you're not gonna be able to heal it so I like absolutely. absolutely and I think a lot to a lot of what I've worked with and in, in relation to the population that I'm working with right now is, you know, a 30 something year old woman who has an education or is in the business world or has owns her own business or, you know, it wants to be successful. There's a lot of pressure that goes with that. And part like to me, the prescription, the RX of white knuckling things, right? Like I want to have a good education. I want to have a good job. I want to have a family. I want to have a partner that loves me and that I love them. And I want to have a nice car and a nice place to live and a dog and a white fence and all that. And that really, of course, that's important. We want to have standards. We want to have values and we want to have boundaries for within ourselves. And at what point are you white knuckling things? Like at what point are you saying every day, like things have to look this way. This is how they have to look. Um, to others and then to me for some validation or something. But really, so the the prescription to that really is a sense of being open. And, you know, and and that means being open to all of it and not just the good stuff, the bad stuff as well. And that's really what a lot of people I think struggle with. They're like, I'll be open to the nice things. You know, I'm like, well, good luck (laughs) because it's not how, it's just not how, how it works. Oh no. I I mean, we learn more when things are difficult just to be completely transparent. Like we're not, we're not, I mean, we do learn when things are good. I will say that like we can learn from everything, everything. Totally. Yeah. Everything is a learning experience, but yeah, when things are bad, that's when you can really learn because you can dig deep and change. So I know. For me personally, when shit hits the fan, I'm like, oh my God, stuff has to change. I can't be living in this environment or this situation, this experience for that much longer. So that's when I'm ready to dig deep and go. 
Totally. But that's me. That's my perspective. I don't like, yeah. I don't like when things are shitty, you know, I want to get myself yeah. out of a shitty situation. So I'm willing to do the work, but like we're saying, it's this willingness to do the work. Otherwise you're just going to be stuck in your shit and yeah. no one's going to help you until you help yourself. Totally. There's definitely like a duality to it. Like, you know, it's just like a duality of life. Like there's ups and downs and you have to be open to both. And I've seen people, and I mean myself as well, like have done like really great stuff and, and really learn from the process and learn from, you know, meditation and journaling and yoga and all that. And that's been a really beautiful thing. And then also sometimes when I've been at my lowest lows, that has also been really beautiful, you know? So I totally agree. Yeah. I realized that we didn't actually define codependency. And just for the purpose of making sure we're clear on what we're talking about, I do want to define what codependency is and also some of the behaviors and things that you can see. Because maybe it, I don't want this to just be a buzzword. Like, let's actually break this down so people can be like, yeah, okay, I get it. This is it. Sure, sure absolutely. Um, so, codependency is a really fuzzy term because it is so broad and it really is a buzzword. A lot of people use it. A lot of people use it in almost a, um, like a shaming way. Like, oh, that's really codependent behavior. Um, which again is dependency is different, right? Like we want to depend on people because we're human and we're allowed to. Um, and I I do want to make that distinction because I think that is really not said enough Um, We can depend on people that we love and feel safe with that we have allowed to, and that's not codependent. Codependency is really where it started was in substance abuse. A lot of family members of people who were addicted to a substance, um, and that's kind of broadened out now um, with with everything that we know. Um, You know, it could be love addiction, gambling, shopping, narcissism, Um, but codependency definitely develops in families where there's mental health issues or um, a physical ailment. There's just so many ways that you could develop it. Um, and really to me, it is, if I'm going to sum it up in like a, in a sentence, it's really just the false thinking that you can control someone else's behavior by manipulating your own. So for example, if I don't upset my parent, they'll drink less. If I, or I mean, even in relationships, right? Like if, if I don't rock the boat on this issue, we won't have this problem. I mean, that's just a big, vague example, but really it's squashing your own feelings and thoughts and all that to have this fake perception that you're helping control a situation. Yeah, yeah. This illusion of control when there's so much that's out of our control. And I mean, I'm not gonna lie, there's definitely things that are within our control and that are healthy for us to control. But this idea that we can control these outside forces and we can, we're responsible for other people's feelings all the time. Mm -hmm. That's not a healthy thought or a healthy boundary. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's exactly what you're saying is totally on it. Feeling that like over sense of responsibility for someone's safety, emotionally, physically, that's just not, that's just not a healthy mirror. Like I was, like I was saying a little bit earlier. Yeah, I know we jumped ahead in the conversation. I was so excited to dive in. Yeah, so just to piggyback off that, I would say if you're healing from these insecure attachments or 
you're trying to understand your attachment patterns and, you know, not become addicted to things like social media or other distractions to try to numb out what you're actually experiencing. What would you say is like a go-to move for folks who are like, okay, well, I am desperately seeking love to distract myself from my inner child work, or I am desperately seeking um, outside pleasure, like shopping, whatever, whatever, like low-key addictions that are actually really popular among people because they're trying to numb something out. So what are things that you see come up a lot for people? Is it, is it really a base of self-worth? Is it self-value? Like what? what is the real reason that a lot of people seek to numb out or seek to fix or seek to control? I think not to like, you know, run over it. Uh, but no, I agree. Self-worth, self-value. I also think a lot of it is, um, and this is, you know, kind of mindfulness type concepts, which I love is the avoidance of pain. Hmm. There's an avoidance of difficult emotions. And again, I I'm not, trying to say that I think, you know, this work is so hard and it's, I'm not trying to make this look insurmountable, but, um, there is an avoidance of, of, of something. And I think really the honesty is honesty with yourself is kind of like the first place. Like, you know, I think you and I talked a little bit about social media and how, especially during like a full-time, like a, you know, quarantining, working from home, I was on social media for, you know, like way more hours than I'm willing to admit, like an embarrassingly long amount of hours. Um, you know, and I think a lot of it was just like, number one, boredom, a lack of boundaries within myself. And I think that's another part of this too is, and it's funny, I just spoke about this with someone recently. Um, and I had to really clarify myself when we talked about inner child work, right? Like, I hope I'm not going too off tangent, but we talked about inner child work. And when you think about kids, obviously accurately mirroring them is we also need that as adults and also kids need boundaries. Like kids need boundaries. We need boundaries and we need boundaries. And if you're, I am a Leo, so I am, it's tough for me astrologically, (laughs) but having internal boundaries, which means I'm only doing this at this time and I'm sticking with this or, you know, like if you, it's really just the best way to reach a goal. And I think if you are starting the journey or really thinking about it, or you're just tired of lit, just tired of doing what you're doing, you feel tired. Really. It's that, that push of a boundary saying like, okay, it's time for me to, you know, seek a therapist, go yoga, meditate for three minutes, go outside, put my feet in the grass, whatever. And you could say that you're going to do it and then never do it. It's really the boundary of saying, okay, no, like it is time for me to do this because I deserve to do it and I want better for myself. And I, and I think that's a, that's a, an appropriate boundary for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said that. I think it, like you said, it stems back to self-worth. Like you're going to do the things to take care of yourself when you value yourself. And absolutely. also just the peace on awareness. It's all about knowing what your behaviors are that are healthy and what aren't. And using that awareness to structure your next steps. So saying to yourself, like having that conversation with yourself, like, Hey, I know that I'm spending too much time on social media. I know that I'm drinking in excess because I'm trying to not feel like shit or I like really going inward and saying like, okay, (laughs) what are the next steps for me? Like, how can I create better boundaries, create healthier relationships? 
-hmm. But I do think it just goes back to, you know, this, this wanting better for yourself. And you, and you really do have to honor yourself in some way or another to want better. I think some people also like to sink into victim mentality and be like, well, my dad sucks or my mom sucks or like these people in my life suck. So I'm just gonna, whatever. But it's, it's like rising up. And what I think is that people who do become sober are, are so brave to do all this work because they can't numb out anymore. They're not able to just be like, well, I'm going to fucking drink away my problems or I'm going to use whatever. I feel like they're constantly sitting with their feelings because they don't have other options anymore. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it gets typically like, at least in that process, it's, it's interesting because I've experienced this as a kid too. Like that person in your family gets sober and everybody's like, look, the problems resolved itself. This person's sober. <laughs> this person is, you know, in recovery or doing what, you know, whatever way you want to term it. Yeah. Um, and things aren't better. Yeah. Uh, because there's that emotional piece still there. So um, yeah, I think, I think just generally so much of this, so much of what we're talking about too has to do with like feeling an intense emotion and learning and figuring out for you what, it, how, how you can best regulate that feeling. Yes, yeah. Well, it's so hard, you know, like, cause I'll, I, you know, I'll say it like, you know, I was like lonely or bored or hungry or whatever. And that's an, those are, were intense. Those can be intense feelings. And instead of, you know, like journaling or meditating or, or taking a walk outside with my dog or whatever, I'm like on Instagram or something, something, you know, like any, I mean, any other thing. So, um, you know, it's just trying to like find a way that works for you. Like my sister is a beautiful artist. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily paint like that as her thing. So it's just finding like individually what works for you, for everybody. Absolutely. A hundred percent. So that's actually what we can talk about really quickly now is like when you're building up this emotional intelligence and you're learning healthy coping strategies and healthy behaviors, like let's throw out some good ideas because I'm all about tips and tangible solutions. So if you're feeling intense emotions, like anger, sadness, I think one of my favorites is that I'm actively trying to work on is just pausing before you do anything. And I've gotten a lot better at it, but I used to react like in the minute because intense emotions are just that they're intense. So being able to actually sit, sit with it, understand how to regulate it. Let's talk about that for a second. Totally. I th- I'm so glad that you brought that up because I'm sure that so many people that listen and so many people that you interact with are empaths, like empathic people and yeah. <laughs> you know, empathic people are, we are the most doubly sided, like it's such a gift and a curse at the same time. Like I, I totally understand, you know, um, because I feel I connect and I connect on a very deep level with people. And also I feel discomfort very deeply. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think what you're saying is so perfect. Like pausing, um, someone once said to me, and I, I've integrated a lot into my practice when you don't know what to do, or you feel too intense, do nothing. There's never a rush. And really that rush of, I have to tell this person, you know, like how I feel about them, or I have to say this to this person, or I have to do this X, Y, Z is a part of what I had spoken about earlier about that white knuckling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, because I have to force my ship the way I want it to go instead of just like letting it go. So I really, I, you know, I don't want to like totally take your idea, but I think really doing nothing in those moments and being okay with that 
is really important. Other ways, I am a big time advocate for journaling and writing. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like it is one of the best ways of cultivating mindfulness, um, Mm -hmm. cultivating vulnerability within yourself. It's different when you can, I'm sure some people um, can identify with this. I hear it a lot. I do it. I've done it as well. Calling a girlfriend of mine and spilling all the information out and dumping it and not really processing it, not really integrating it, not really sitting with it. And yes, I'm getting the support, which is so important. But for me, again, um, the number two keeps coming up, I guess. Um, it's, a two, again, a twofold process. Calling someone, getting support, and also being able to see this stuff out on paper and not just live with it up in my head. Um, a really mindful process. And it's also really vulnerable. And, not, and, it's, and, and I think another part of this too is this is all practice. And when you accept that this process, whatever process you are going through is a practice, you will accept it, you'll build the tolerance for it, and you'll be able to do it more often and then be able to intentionally do it. Like that's like saying to somebody who's never meditated before, meditate for 20 minutes and do it and do it. Mm-hmm. Most people will be like, I'm finished within 30 seconds. Yeah. It's too much too soon. It's not done with enough intentional practice. And really, um, so like, you know, doing nothing, taking a break, journaling, putting your feet out into the earth. Um, you know, there are scientific benefits for putting your feet on the ground. That's just the truth. Yeah. Uh, very witchy and woo woo, but it is true. Not even that woo woo. I will tell no. you, like, I feel like if you're in tune with your feelings and emotions mm-hmm. and you go outside and you go to a natural space, you're going to feel the difference. For me, it's, it's grounding by the ocean. That is the <laughs> best thing for me. The ocean is magical. So if I, I don't even have to take my shoes off to feel it. I can feel it just by being around it. Something that, you know, as a therapist, you end up, you end up building staples. Um, You do see the same, you know, a lot of the similar issues run through, you know, people all the time because everybody else, any, all, yeah, it's all like the same patterns. I'm so convinced that we are such a collective and that we all experience shit together because I know like, I'll be going through something. Somebody else will be going through something. So that's always interesting to me. Absolutely. And the word and like in relation to the duality has been a game changer for me. It's this and many things can be true at once. It doesn't need to be, but this and that, this, but that. No, it, it can be many things true at once. And the word and for me was such, once I realized that I could, I could say that word Mm-hmm. Um, and make all these things true for me. It, it was such a beautiful thing, and I think that just kind of goes along with duality because there, there isn't just one way or one perspective or yeah. one thing that works for one person. I mean, you know, for some people it's like the mountains, and for you it's the ocean, and that's yeah. just the same, though. Yes, though that I think that's like so freeing. I feel like there's a permission in that, in allowing yourself to say end. Yeah. And that- that's freeing. I think that goes back to like some inner child wounds where we feel like things have to be black or white. And it also goes with that therapy perspective to not live in a black or white world because that's that's such a bad habit to get yourself into that everything has to be black or white. And I feel like a lot of people who have codependency issues or whatever, they live in that world and they're not okay with jumping into the gray area or living in the duality space. And that's a great space to play in. So 
It really is. And I think it also goes along with, and I have to tell myself this sometimes, the idea of being on a spectrum, right? right? You want to be all one way, right? Like I'm gonna like totally do this one way on the other end, but you can totally, we're, we all live on a spectrum. It's not one thing or the other, and it's not one way all the time. Like, and I feel like that spectrum is constantly moving. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's important. And I think that goes along with the piece about openness too. So yeah, 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 it's just important. Oh my gosh. All these conversations just seem to build on each other. When I was talking with Kate, we were talking about relationships, right? So you're talking about like masculine, feminine energy. And we had the same conversation about spectrum and duality and give and take. And I think it's, it's really related to this too. It's like, okay, be okay with fluidity. Fluidity is grace. In my opinion, fluidity is like going with the flow, trusting the process, being okay with what comes up, not shaming yourself and living in a black or white world. I don't think that's healthy for people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like you said, and I'm glad that you brought up the second part or the last part, which is um, when you do go back into those old patterns or that way of thinking, that black and white way of thinking, or that shameful way of thinking, Mm -hmm. shame begets shame. I mean, it just builds on itself. And that's where you kind of end up in a hole. And I think going back to what you were saying earlier, when you, when you go back into an older pattern and you're not being open and you're not seeing things more fluidly, instead of beating yourself up and being like, oh, here I go again. This is how it goes. This is how I always am. I'm, you know, this is who I'll be forever. Um, really taking that moment to pause and, and, and that's where you can like reparent yourself and kind yeah. of give yourself what it is that you need, which is usually a much more compassionate and warm voice. Yes. And I, and just building that compassionate, warm voice is really important too. Like do the work so that you can be compassionate with yourself. I think that's really one of the gems and the take-homes from doing all this hard work, sitting with your shit, working through it, covering new ways, like that's hard work. But like when you get to the spot where you can fall down and pick yourself up and not stay there on the ground and not be like, well, I'm broken. I'm (laughs) in a shithole. End of of my life. Like be okay with getting back up, like brushing yourself off, moving forward, trusting the fluid process. Oh my gosh. Totally. I mean, that's like, I feel like the crux of so much of the work, like you're saying, it just really is about being kinder to yourself. And again, and, and again, like I was saying earlier about boundaries and stuff, right? Like, like some people see that and they're like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be too tough on myself. I'm like, yeah, but boundaries are a part of being compassionate and kind to yourself appropriately. And that's why to me, the concept of reparenting or inner child work is so important because left to my own devices, I'll sit on the couch for like a week, you know, like I'll, you know, and, and a part of that inner voice for me and that compassionate voice is, is, is a reparenting figure. Yeah. You know, like saying, nope, it's time to get up, time to go to the gym, time to go for a walk, time to go for a run, time to do this and do it compassionately. Um, and not, you know, beat myself up over anything like that. So I think it's just so deep and so like branched out like a tree. Same. It's funny because I feel like parenting is such an issue that's coming up. Next podcast episode, we're going to talk about parenting. Oh, there you um, go. Because <laughs> it's, it's so, for 
first of all, parenting is hard in itself. Like you're raising kids into the world. You don't know what you're doing. Like, you know, there's books and resources, but everything is so different. But I think, you know, one of the things I've learned just from what I've picked up on parenting is that like structure is really helpful for kids, especially kids who have anxiety. So like, yes, we want to raise our kids to think for themselves and we don't want to be like rules, 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 but we also just need to give them rules and structures so that they have safe spaces. They, they can trust things because I don't know, life is unexpected, but we can also create structure and safe spaces so that there are some things we can expect. I think it's a dance for sure. Yeah. 100%. And especially now, like I'm sure um, like you've heard stories, kids working, doing school from home as a parent, I'm sure it's so hard for, I know it is hard for a lot of parents who especially are working from home as well. And their kids are home virtually from school. Um, but you can't give your kid their switch, whatever they're like Nintendo while they're in school, you know, like they need that appropriate boundary. They need these ways of discipline. I guess, I guess that's the word. It's, I guess it's consistency, being consistent, being a consistent person and showing up. Yeah. I um, like the words boundaries and consistency. And I don't think yeah. they're as rigid as some of the other words we could use. Sure. I think that they feel good when you say like mm-hmm. a boundary, it's because you need to be safe and healthy. I love that you said that, like feeling good when you hear that word, like that just, um, that like spoke to me. That's really nice. Yeah. Because when you say like rules, it's kind of like, man, like rules. No, you're right. You're totally right. Yeah. Yeah. But I do love that. Like, like when I hear the word warm, I'm all, I'm like, oh, yes. Like, I love that. You know, that's something I always want people to feel like when they're around me, it's something I always want to feel. So I appreciate that. That's a really good point. Like, and I think that's another way too. like you were talking about more tangible things what are certain words that you want to feel or certain words that you want to take, like that you want to have people feel when they're around you. Um, and I think that's like a good guideline. Like I've done that with certain clients as well. Like what are certain words? If you, it doesn't have to be a goal or a vision board, but like, what are some words that you want to set intentionally for yourself at this point in time? And I think it's always changing and, and so not static you know? So I think that's a really nice point. Like what are words that you want to hear and what are ones that make you feel good? That's so beautiful. Yeah. And you know what else came up for me is just like letting go too. like, you can't embody these new values and words if you're not willing to be okay with letting go of some other words. So for example, your past doesn't define you. And I think this is super appropriate for what we're talking about now, because in the past, we've all gathered our scars. We have scars for days. We know. But it's like being willing to say like, well, that's not me anymore and I'm going to let it go. And that's not, that word does that. I don't have attachment to that word anymore. So like for people who are so scarred from their trauma, especially like people who have so much shame, you know, they've kind of like attached to their shame or they've attached to their old patterns. Let go of that shit, you know, embody the person that you really want to be. You have the power to do it. So absolutely. And I, and I think really, a part of that is finding the safe place to do it, finding, you know, especially when it comes to trauma and all that, that is heavy, heavy stuff. And not everybody is equipped to kind of see it and hold it, hmm. you know? And I think really, that's really about cultivating, like, like you were saying, like a safe place, a safe space to do it. So I think it's a great point. Yeah. I love how these episodes build on each other because I had uh, Dr. Craig Springer on the show. 
And we talked about anxiety and trauma a little bit. And he was saying how sometimes in the healing process, like, especially for those who are anxious, they want to hold on to their old patterns because they're so safe for them. So Mm -hmm. it's like, it's almost scary to let go of these things that are causing you problems. And I think this relates to this conversation, especially in codependency, because if you have these addictions and these patterns that are not serving you at all, but you're just so safe in these places with your shit and your patterns and your addictions, like you don't want to let go because you don't want to go into the unknown. And I think that relates to like this fluid process of like being okay with not knowing what comes next is just a gem in itself. It's okay to have some uncertainty sometimes. And this is like that duality piece where you can say this end, like we want to feel safe, but we also need to be okay with, with opening up and seeing what happens. And I think that's especially hard for people who have anxiety disorders and, you know, certain trauma, because it's really hard to just like trust for those people. Right. Totally. Totally. Um, you know, anxiety is like painful past learning and it lives in the future. Um, it's very, it's not present. Anxiety is never really, it's never present. It doesn't live here. It lives in the past and it lives whatever's happening, you know, in the future could be five minutes from now. Um, so I think the concept, the word openness, the concept of, you know, being fluid or, um, seeing many truths can be difficult. You know, it's a, it's a hard thing to do. Um, but it really is like the anic, the, the, the opposite of, so yeah. And I, and I also think like a place to be, like I was saying earlier about journaling, like a place to be creative, right? Like if you're creative and you're embodied and you're not overthinking, right? Like you have that ability to, to be less anxious. And I think that's really important too. Yeah. You know? And that's individualized. So it's just kind of like finding whatever works for you. Yeah. Agreed. Thank you for this beautiful conversation. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like I personally took so much home from it. It's just, like I said in the beginning, I'm just so honored and I'm, I'm so thankful. Tell me about your practice. Tell me where everybody can find you. So I um, am not, like I said earlier, I'm not on social media. Um, I was, and then just uh, figured that people who would find me, who have found me did mm-hmm. with a purpose and a reason. And it just organically happened. Um, but I am on psychology today. If you type in my name, my uh, practice is called of Oak counseling, um, like an Oak tree mm-hmm. and, uh, my email, if anybody wants to connect or anything like that is, uh, of Oak, uh, counseling at gmail.com. So, um, that's probably the best way to reach me, or, um, you can reach out to me via psychology today. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so, like I said, I'm just so, I'm so excited. I'm so happy. Same here. Hey friend, thanks for checking out this episode of the Solutions Podcast. For more episodes just like this, be sure to subscribe. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, we're at Solutions Pod. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check out our next episode.